we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. You know, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM, CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio, in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, unceded and traditional Musqueam, Squamish, and Squalatooth territories. Today is Friday, August 14th, 2020, and I will be your host, Grace Wampold, joined today by Leah Thompson. Tomorrow, Saturday, is declared International Homeless Animal Day. And so we have an interview coming up with the founder of Rabbitats Rescue Society discussing the large number of abandoned domestic rabbits that can be found in the Lower Mainland. Sorel has been doing this work for over 10 years now and is an expert on humanely controlling rabbit populations and trying to protect feral colonies. So it's a really interesting interview and stay tuned for that. I'm really excited to have an episode dedicated to Homeless Animals Day. It was begun in 1992 by the ISAR, an international homeless animals organization, and it's been created to observe the consistently growing number of homeless animals across the world. Essentially, the public is trying to raise awareness until we're able to have humane societies return to their purpose. So preventing suffering and, in, and preventing the ceaseless killing of homeless animals. While the day is usually associated with cats and dogs, I did want to shed light on rabbits because that's something that is of growing concern and often ignored by sanctuary spaces and by shelters. A lot of shelters don't accept rabbits at all, which is something that we're going to discuss in the interview. If you go to isaronline.org, you can read more about International Homeless Animals Day and how you can get involved. Created by your First Nations Health Managers Association, we introduce InfoPoint, a convenient and accessible helpful desk for First Nations Health Managers looking for credible sources of information on COVID-19. Don't have time to dig? Talk to a real person now at 1-855-446-2719 or email infopoint at fnhma.ca. Indigenous Health Today is another resource of information by region at ihtoday.ca. Now for this week's news and events. This past Saturday marked 50 years since Lolita, or Tokite, the lone orca held at the Miami Sea Aquarium, was kidnapped from her family. For decades, officials charged with protecting this critically endangered, extremely intelligent, and highly complex animal have failed her. Against all odds, she has survived. It is not too late to do the right thing and return her to her home waters. In August of 1970, off the coast of Washington in the Puget Sound, deafening explosives, speedboats, and airplanes were used to herd wild orcas into a three-acre net. Seven youngsters were torn from their mothers, who they would normally stay with for much of their lives, and trucked off to be displayed at marine parks. Today, only one of these orcas has survived, Lolita. 
Despite having been separated from her family for decades, when she has played recordings of vocalizations known only to her prod, she has appeared to recognize the calls. Allowing her to reconnect with her family members in the wild, including her mother, who is believed to be alive, isn't as far-fetched as it might sound. The captive animal industry has routinely shipped orcas not only across the United States, but internationally. Experts have worked together to prepare a detailed plan for her return to her home waters, where she could live in a sea pen that is exponentially larger than the bathtub that Sea Aquarium has confined her to for decades, where she may have contact with her family members while still being monitored and cared for. When the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service listed the southern resident killer whale population as endangered, it excluded Lolita from protections that were extended to her family members without explanation and legal basis. Forced by litigation to give her the legal protections she is entitled to, including a strict prohibition on any harm or harassment, the agency f finally did so. But they have failed to enforce those protections, and the courts have as well. To make matters worse, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has refused to afford Lolita even the minimal protection she is due under the Animal Welfare Act. In the wild, orcas swim well over 100 miles a day and dive hundreds, even thousands of feet deep. The Sea Aquarium holds Lolita, who is 20 feet long, in a tank that is 20 feet at its deepest and just 80 feet across at its widest, making it impossible for her to dive even a few feet or travel any meaningful distance. In addition, the law requires that marine mammals who are social in the wild be held with compatible animals and prohibits confining them with incompatible animals. Lolita hasn't seen another orca since 1980, when her tank mate died after repeatedly ramming their head into the side of the tank. Instead, she shares her tiny tank with two dolphins who routinely injure her. Despite blatant violations of clear legal mandates, the USDA recently conducted an inspection of Sea Aquarium focused on Lolita, declared that it identified no non-compliant items. The USDA has come under well-deserved scrutiny for its abysmal enforcement of the Animal Welfare Act, which it has reached unprecedented lows. By the failure to protect Lolita extends across administrations, agencies, and decades, yet Lolita has survived. It isn't too late to finally do right by her. So if you're interested in helping advocate for Lolita, there is currently a campaign by PETA asking that Lolita and other orcas at Marine Land be retired to a seaside sanctuary, as was being explained in this other article. That first article was by Delciana J. Winders, the New York Daily News. You can check out that article as well as the petition to help Lolita on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver. So I also wanted to take the opportunity to have a quick conversation about our relationship with Zero Waste and the Buy Nothing Project. Buy Nothing Project is basically a way for people to receive, share, lend, and express gratitude through a network of hyper-local gift economies. Buy nothing is only about things you're willing to give away or things you're asking for without an expectation that you have something to give in, in return for it. There's a lot of different aspects to this, but essentially it can strengthen communities and also, a lot of us come from a place of abundance. A lot of us are in cities where there's people with more than they need. And it gives us an opportunity to kind of like see the differences between us and realize that what you might consider waste is still valuable to someone else. In my experience with my local Buy Nothing group, I have picked up a lot of things that were like half used. For example, like a protein powder, a vegan protein powder that somebody had and they ate half of it. And they were like, you know, I just don't really like this. And that's not something you would ever place where you would generally put donations. If someone lives in your community, in your area, you can trust that it's not like sitting out. And if they did, you can trace it. Like there's a traceability when it comes to like buy nothing groups. I've done it where I'll 
trade puzzles through Buy Nothing. So I have a puzzle that I picked up from someone's porch and can do it without contacting people. They can leave it outside and I'll just give them a window for when I might pick something up. Or like I've had people move into our neighborhood and say, I just moved in and I need everything for my apartment. And people really do want to help. Even like I, I needed hair clippers one day, people let me borrow them. Yeah, I mean, my experience with the Buy Nothing has also been um, somebody letting me use their printer so that I could vote. So they were able to print out a paper where I signed it and cast my vote and then they scanned it for me. Which again, it's like you run the risk of like them having personal information about me. But I guess I'm just overly trusting. A little bit. But even so, like maybe you needed to print, you know, a project for school. I also don't have a printer and recently my like public libraries are closed, which would be where I would usually print something. So sometimes sometimes it's really good and necessary to put your trust into strangers. But why do you think it's important to engage in projects like Buy Nothing as a vegan? I guess for me, my veganism is tied to anti-capitalism. So it's important to me that nothing goes to waste and that I'm able to get things from other people who don't want them. And that's food, but that's also like house things like chairs or I am constantly surprised by the types of things that people will offer to give away and then ask for even myself I've taken a hour-long walk just to get like basically enough loose tea for two cups of tea like because I just know that they're gonna throw it in the trash and I think that's part of what motivates me to go and do it because I am like oh I have this kind of time and even one time I offered somebody was getting rid of something I said oh I'll give you this thing can I give you this thing in exchange for it and they all told me hey we're gonna delete your comment you're not even allowed to offer to give something in exchange well I mean I guess that can segue into the idea of trading and using things like buns which I got into recently so that is great I I'm bad at getting rid of clothes and so I posted a couple photos and one woman was really interested in this this cotton shirt that I had she's like I can give you some food I can give you some fruits and I was like please that sounds great and I met her after work, and there was a couple items that my coworkers were gonna compost, including like this giant thing of yogurt, which I, of course, do not eat. But I was able to offer to this person some items from work that we were not gonna be able to keep in exchange for the fruits that she was giving me. And that felt great, because again, I kept something from going to the compost. So I do love the trade economy. Especially if you are um, trying to live outside of a capitalist system, thinking about what you want and what you have and what you can offer other people because, because skills can be offered on buns. You can give people part of my veganism as well is that it's important to try to value not only lives but items and your own time, how you can show gratitude to your neighborhood, how you can be kind to human and non-humans through dismantling capitalist systems. So if you are moving soon or want to upgrade items in your house, just consider looking for your buy nothing group or checking out Buns, which is available on Facebook or the App Store. This week we have many upcoming events, including tomorrow, Saturday, August 15th, from 3 to 5.30 p.m. There will be a No More Dead Captives protest at the Greater Vancouver Zoo in Langley. 
welcoming in a new era of regular, rotating protests. We are working up to an expanded campaign to include government, stakeholders, sponsors, contractors, outreach, and lots of other fun and enhanced actions. The GV Zoo will not be allowed to just expand without challenge and continue to needlessly kill animals in the name of entertainment. You can check them out on Facebook as No More Dead Captives Stop Kaza. An ongoing event that is happening online is the 2020 School Supply Drive for Farm Workers. The Food Empowerment Project is once again preparing for their annual school supply drive for the children of farm workers. They are adapting this year's school supply drive to the realities of a world during a global pandemic. COVID-19 has impacted lives all over the world and farm workers are some of those who have been hit the hardest. The lack of living wages requires farm workers to live in cloudy conditions and travel together in cars, vans, or using public transportation, making it impossible for them to social distance at home or at work. Now more than ever, we need to support farm workers and give back to those who put the food on our plates. They have 540 children in need. Not wanting to contribute to the spread of COVID-19, they have decided to order prepackaged kits that include school supplies that will only need to be inserted into backpacks. They need your help to buy these kits and they also need 540 backpacks. You can order backpacks and have them sent or donate to them so that they may order them. You can contribute to this fundraiser on their Facebook page and we will also be sharing the event page on our Facebook and in our web post for this show. On Sunday, August 23rd at 12 p.m. PST, join the Vine Sanctuary Book Club on Zoom for a discussion of Entangled Empathy with author and eco-feminist Lori Bruin. In Entangled Empathy, Bruin argues that rather than focus on animal rights, we ought to work to make our relationships with animals right by empathetically responding to their needs, interests, desires, vulnerabilities, hopes, and unique perspectives, pointing out that we are already entangled in complex and life-altering relationships with other animals. Bruin guides readers through a new way of thinking about and practicing animal ethics. If you'd like to hear more about this book discussion and others, check out the Vine Book Club on Facebook. Similarly, our locally founded Vegan Feminist Book Club, which currently meets each last Sunday of the month, will be hosting a Zoom on August 30th from 5 to 7 PST, where we'll be discussing the book Terrorists or Freedom Fighters by Stephen Bess and Anthony J. Nusella. The first anthology of writings on the history, ethics, politics, and tactics of the Animal Liberation Front. Terrorists for Freedom Fighters features both academic and activist perspectives and offers powerful insights into this international organization and its position within the animal rights movement. The contributors explore the history of civil disobedience and sabotage and examine the philosophical and cultural meanings of words like terrorism, democracy, and freedom in a book that ultimately challenges the values and assumptions that pervade our culture. To find more information on our book club, visit our Facebook and Instagram page, both under the title Vegan Feminist Book Club. If you have any animal-related events you would like us to announce, you may email us at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver. That has been the news and events for the week. We're going to head into an interview that I have with the founder of Rabbitat's Rabbit Sanctuary from here in the Lower Mainland. Sorrel and I talk about how they operate as an organization, but we also discuss homelessness with rabbits and how domestic rabbits have exploded in population around the Lower Mainland. What we can do as individuals to help combat this and help our environments while still maintaining the welfare of these individuals. It's a really interesting conversation, so please stay tuned. Thanks. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Just, yep. Uh, clear as a bell. So how's your day been? Oh, it's crazy. 
Yeah. I don't know what's going on with it. I was hoping to find out the RCMP are trying to get a hold of me about somebody killing rabbits oh. in Richmond. And uh, there's a dying baby somewhere that somebody's reporting. And then there's a domestic rabbit hopping around um, a few blocks from my house. Oh. <laughs> so... And that's just in the last two hours. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I hadn't heard no. about someone killing rabbits in Richmond. Is that recent? I, I, haven't, um, I haven't been able to connect with the RCMP, but I know that uh, it's actually not all that uncommon. There is people that um, continuously sick their dogs on them. There's others that um, will shoot them with pellet guns. Now there's, um, we've had, we've actually caught, caught people with um, sticks and nets out clubbing the rabbits and taking them away. And it's, yeah, it's really bad. Do they think that's some sort of, I don't know, service or are they bothered by rabbits? I don't understand. It's across the board. Sometimes it's a sport with, a, especially with the dog people mm -hmm. they uh, think it's great fun to have their dogs chase and kill the rabbits and sometimes um, I think with the, the people with the sticks and the nets they were looking to eat them you know sometimes they're um, looking for a thrill so sometimes yeah sometimes they are actually considered pests where um, I mean killed because they're considered pests I mean most of the time they want them dead because they are an invasive species and they're eating people's gardens and you know heaven forbid so we run across that all all the time so um, uh, there's just no end of end of risks for these rabbits out there it's insane these these rabbits are domestic they may be uh, born outside but they're the offspring of domestic pets and there was a study done recently that actually compared the brains of the wild European rabbits and the domestic European rabbits that we have here and the rabbits domesticated are totally different in their brain structure they don't have a fear response like the, the wild rabbits do. They are not reverting to wildlife. They are remaining domestic pets. And that's why all of the loose rabbits are urban areas. You see them right next to the house or under your porch or, or really close. So they haven't lost that. That is interesting because I'm from the Northeast and I don't know if it's the same type of rabbit, but I always thought of them as animals of prey that were very afraid of people and moving here I never experienced anything like the rabbits that you meet on the beach that are really will come up to you yeah the wild rabbits here are actually cottontails and jackrabbits and they are definitely wild the equivalent in Europe are again these European rabbits that domesticated there's also wild rabbits um, European rabbits and uh, totally different ones um, they've been domesticated for centuries it's not even just bringing them into the house it, their whole structure is different the episode is dedicated to homeless animals and it's hard to discern between rabbits that are living outside for generations and ones that have been 
are essentially homeless. And I was wondering if you could talk on that about what it means to be a homeless animal and the animals that do come into rabbitats. We're, we focus a lot on the feral colonies. Uh, most of the time in the past, it's been uh, the pet rabbits. You get the little fluffy bunnies and the you know, different colors of bunnies and you take them in before people dump them in the park. And that is, is supposed to end the chain. But what's happening is the shelters have actually stopped taking in these rabbits. So it's sort of a, a self-defeating uh, issue where they, they became overwhelmed with the rabbits because certain communities did not take in the rabbits. And those rabbits bred, and they do breed like rabbits. So they populated really quickly, and the shelter's response to that was to stop accepting them, <laughs> which is really, <laughs> it's like, uh, wait a minute. So now over the last, um, and this has been going on only for about 10, 10 years, I guess, and uh, especially in the last two or three years, they've almost all shut down, taking in, taking in rabbits. And there's only, uh, you know, two or three rabbit rescues in, in the lower mainland. And you know, needless to say, they're all totally overwhelmed. So there's probably 2,000 rabbits uh, uh, hopping around Richmond that are the offspring of the abandoned pets. And they get hardier the, the longer they're out there. Parents are usually picked off pretty quick because there's so many so many things killing them between the, the actual wildlife, of course, the rabbits are the bottom of the food chain here so you've got you've got the coyotes and going after them and then you get these jerks that are out there to to kill them for whatever reason be it sport or pest control their uh, offspring they survive long enough to give birth they can they can breed every 30 days so we have these these huge colonies but it's uh, also really hard to tell if somebody dumps um, a house pet out there trying to identify that house pet unless it's got long hair or it's white is uh, is really difficult because you can have super cute black bunnies that are were born and raised inside. So um, and then you also have the the feral colonies that people have been feeding. So they're they're super friendly and you go walking up the street and all these rabbits come running up to you. So it's really hard to figure out which ones actually to take in. They all are at risk. They all uh, will have um, short lives. And um, we have to figure out how to actually stop the flow and not just pick up random rabbits. So what we're trying to do, first of all, do control of the colonies where we'll go into one specific area, one neighborhood, and try to get every last rabbit out of that neighborhood. And then if any more rabbits are dumped there, we'll be able to recognize them right away and pick them up right away. So that's, that's our, our priority goal right now, is to work on this neighborhood by neighborhood. But, um, the rabbits are actually starting to hitch rides 
the babies are crawling into the undercarriage of cars. And we just had the other day, we just had a, um, a mom. They actually towed this car in for servicing and popped the hood. And there was a litter of babies there. So um, they called us and we, we got the babies and then um, had to figure out exactly where the car had been and figure out which of the dozen rabbits in that neighborhood was the mom. <laughs> but our, our trappers figured it out and we got the, the mom and the babies together. It's, it's really hard to, you know, you have to take the ones that are at risk. You have to, you have to save the babies and the injured rabbits but uh, the resources are extremely limited and so is the space so we have to really make use of what we've got and we also really need advocacy at this point Uh, the government for the longest time had uh, a law in place that made it illegal to actually rescue these rabbits As, as soon as you turn the rabbit loose if you don't want your rabbit anymore or you can't take the rabbit where you're moving to or any number of reasons and you have no alternatives because the shelters aren't taking them in and the rescues are full you dump the rabbit in in the park and if a rescue sees you dump the rabbit in the park and goes to pick the rabbit up it's technically illegal because that rabbit was outside and no longer contained and that makes the rabbit wildlife and to actually pick up that rabbit, you need a permit. <laughs> so it's like, oh, man. That's so nonsensical. And then you've got the city governments all saying that they, they want the, the rabbits gone, but they can't do anything because the provincial government won't, won't let them. And then you talk to the provincial government and they say, well, that's a municipal issue. It's up to the municipality to to get these rabbits to take these rabbits and the rabbits just keep breeding every 30 days i guess from there we can go back because we really did just jump in here a little bit about your organization specifically what is your mission statement and some of your main goals the line that we use is rabbit rescue management and control and that uh, has evolved from our first rescue which was um, the University of Victoria in 2010. There was um, an estimated 2,000 rabbits on campus. The provincial government finally issued permits to three different rescue groups, including us. We went and took nine, I think it was like 903 rabbits. Uh, They were all rehomed. It wasn't Rabbitats at that point. It was um, just me personally, but I helped the other organizations and rehomed 907 rabbits. <laughs> Transporting was was interesting. We we can fit 68 rabbits in a Dodge Caravan. The rabbits that I was responsible for ended up going to a sanctuary in Washington State because uh, the provincial government, in its infinite wisdom, wouldn't let them stay in BC. The only reason they gave us the permits at all is because we agreed to export them to the states. You can just imagine how Trump would feel about that right now. Another, I think, 250 or 300 went to a sanctuary in Texas, and then the the main rescuer had a sanctuary on Vancouver Island that held 650, and she had no trouble taking care of 
650 rabbits on this property. It was a former petting zoo, so it had lots of little structures and fencing. And she basically just just let them out and made sure she supplied a lot of hay mm-hmm. and water, greens, and whatever she could um, she could manage. It wasn't ideal because she was pretty much doing it by herself, but she did indeed do it. Wow. So that made me think, yes, this can be done. So was it related to the fact that they were classified as wildlife, that they couldn't be then be adopted out? Yeah, that was a, that was a government idiocy. <laughs> they all had to be ex- exported. Uh, BC didn't want the problem. They didn't want a failed operation. And uh, it did progress from from there then we st- I started Rabbitats right after the University of Victoria figured that it was doable and there were already colonies forming in Richmond especially I approached the Richmond Auto Mall because I had heard that there was a lot of rabbits loose there at the same time the Richmond Auto Mall was reaching out to me saying we've got a lot of rabbits here we formed uh, a partnership where the auto mall actually supplied all of the funds for the spays and neuters. They gave us a van and they gave us an empty garage to keep the rabbits while we were getting them all uh, caught and spayed and neutered. And in that uh, instance, we did catch them ourselves over, it took a, a few years because we were just figuring out how to do it and we weren't in a terrible hurry because we did have the facility and we got uh, I think ultimately we took around 400 rabbits out of there it's almost rabbit free right now it would have would have been totally rabbit free except for um, a lot of construction sites and we couldn't actually access them we couldn't get behind the fences so we're we're still following like uh, you know there's still probably um Somewhere between, somewhere around uh, uh, 10 rabbits still out there that we have to keep chasing around. And the construction is almost finished, so we'll probably have them all up by the end of the year. Mm, That's kismet, honestly, that you would partner with an auto company that has that space for you. It was... uh... That was great. Another instance that that showed, yes, it it can be done. If there's support from the public, from businesses, of course, from rescue. And in this case, we did not get any government support other than eventually they, well, actually, they didn't really, I was going to say eventually they did allow us to do that rescue, but they never really did. They um, gave us a permit saying that we could take the rabbits, or at least the first 50, to the same sanctuary in Washington State. But uh, these rabbits were a lot smaller than the previous rabbits we had, and the sanctuary was pretty cold, and I didn't think it was a good fit for this these particular rabbits. So we tried to get the government to agree to let us keep them in BC, and they never really did a agree to that but we we just did nothing and eventually they changed the law so because it's just so silly that you're trying to do a service that otherwise would have they would have been left in bc so with rabbitats i know you also have options for fostering and adopting and i was just wondering what is involved in that and i was wondering if the fostering and adopting has either increased or decreased during covid and how that's impacted your organization Uh, yes actually our our adoptions and fostering has increased 
uh, drastically since COVID, which has been nice to see as long as they don't come back <laughs> later, which we're, we're kind of uh, thinking that they, they might, you know. Yeah, right now people have a, a lot of time to have a, a nice little bunny at their feet while they're home. And it's uh, it's worked out well. Uh, we're still uh, suffering from the other effects of COVID, which was we could not spay the female bunnies that we had caught around Richmond. Normally, we'll catch a rabbit that say that's got a newborn litter. We get the rabbit spayed right away. It's resulted in about a hundred new babies because these rabbits are really getting pregnant pretty much the day they give birth and they're, you know, they're presenting us like with you know eight or nine when we started they used to cough up like uh you know five so it didn't take very long at all to end up with a hundred very unexpected and unbudgeted rabbits so um they're in right now they're they're a growing concern <laughs> literally we have we have no housing for these guys we've got the space but we have not been able to get the volunteers to come and actually build on the space that we've got which is an unusual part of covid one would think that there'd be all kinds of unemployment and people looking for things to do especially outside uh, where it's very low risk. Fun. I wonder if people don't know how to get involved. Could you maybe share some of about how to get involved with volunteering at Rabbitats? Oh, we have uh, our webpage has a. It's got a, a volunteer portal. But just signing on to Rabbitats dot org backslash volunteer will take people to a questionnaire, and um, they just fill in their, their availability and their interests and we take it from there uh, how old do you have to be can people bring their kids th- their family yeah we we do have people wanting wanting to do that but um and it's okay as long as they're actually putting in uh, the hours and and not just wanting you know, to come and pet bunnies our, our bunny care volunteers are actually uh, we're also uh, we have to avoid close quarters. We're having trouble actually finding people who know how to do construction or how to um, you know how to build a bunny house. And once we get them into the housing, they'll be in uh, outdoor but very protected enclosures. And we're going to need people to come and take care of them. Out, um, out in these enclosures. But first, we have to get them built. We need the materials and we need the labor. And I think what's part of what's happening is because everybody needing to stick close to home, people are looking at building up their own space. The carpenters and the laborers and the, the, the builders are uh, tasked with doing decks and things and uh, they're getting as much work as they can possibly handle and really don't have volunteer hours available uh, this is um this is really complicated it even more because it's true a lot of people have been doing home renovations and even beyond that a lot of restaurants are doing renovations that i, I never thought about how that would impact a lot of nonprofits. We're going to take a quick break for our station ID and some PRAs. So 
Stay tuned. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to spread, it is important to stay safe. Coronavirus is now in Canadian provinces and territories. By law, if you have traveled abroad recently, you must self-isolate. To do your part, stay home as much as possible and practice social distancing. Try to maintain at least two meters away from others. Encourage those who are sick or showing symptoms to self-isolate or to seek medical attention. As always, wash your hands frequently, avoid touching your face, and practice good respiratory etiquette by covering your coughs and sneezes. Clean regularly used surfaces. COVID-19 symptoms can mimic colds and flu and include fever, cough, and difficulty breathing. Infected individuals may also have mild symptoms or none at all. For up-to-date information, check reliable sources like your local health authority or the Public Health Agency of Canada. Welcome back. We're returning to an interview with Sorrel from Rabbitas and discussing how COVID-19 has impacted the help that is needed in order to operate as a nonprofit. Uh, uh, the bunnies that really need the housing aren't, aren't really the ones that are being adopted or fostered unless people want to foster a colony which is actually great we would but we're trying to do micro sanctuaries that we can instead of adopting one or two rabbits to a home we would like to see 10 or 20 rabbits go to a micro sanctuary and we've hooked up with the micro sanctuary resource center but even farm sanctuaries and other rescues they just they don't deal with rabbits nobody takes in the rabbits but they're actually not very hard to house and pretty much um, reconditioning a a chicken coop or a shed in a run you know you can put uh, make it into a lovely little respite area you have little benches and you can you can have uh, tables for gardening and all kinds of things with the the bunnies running around your feet you know our motto is turning into why adopt one when you can adopt (laughs) ten Well, I was also going to ask you about that because I've been looking into possibly adopting a rabbit and I've been looking at ways to rabbit proof my house and trying to understand what's involved in that. So what would that look like if you had, let's say, like a litter trained rabbit? Yeah, they're pretty much naturally litter trained. So you just pretty much put a cat box um, with, uh, we use wood litter, litter pellets and, and the bunny's going to use that. You have to protect your uh, wires because there's nothing bunnies like better than to snip a wire in half. That's like chewing a vine in the forest. You have to have a clear path of escape so you can't have any any vines to trip you up. So, And uh, boy, your charger sure looks like a vine. <laughs> So that's the main issue is the you know, making sure that you've got everything that can be uh, chewed, blocked, blocked off, or lifted up, which isn't all that hard. We have uh, uh, another motto is, um, you know, cage the plants, not the rabbits. So uh, you know, we'll put everything like the, the um, electrical cords and plants and stuff behind um, 
grid shelving panels where you make them into mini fences and, and block off potential hazards there. Even adopting into a home, you, you pretty much have to have more than one rabbit. And this is where it gets a little tricky is um, if you have one rabbit will really be socializing with you because the rabbits have to bond. They're really super, super social animals, but they're, they're not terribly picky. They would prefer another rabbit, but if you've got a cat or a dog or a, a human or, you know, you can even see photos of rabbits um, cuddling with deer. You know, <laughs> they just, as long as they have a friend. <laughs> So um, we always encourage people to get at least two. So the more rabbits that can be housed at once, the better. And you can have a, a small colony and get along really well as long as you get them all at the same time and put them in a in whatever space they're going to be in at the same time so they're not, uh, not already territorial. So if you just happen to have a, a spare room, you can turn that into a lovely little bunny sanctuary <laughs> theoretically like a small family could have their own micro sanctuary even if would it be more ideal let's say for them to have outdoor space but could you could you and in, in theory have like five rabbits in your home yeah i've got uh, i've got eight here wow <laughs> but uh yeah and it's easier when you when you have them all living together because yeah. um, you're only cleaning one space so, um, but it depends on the rabbit. If the rabbit was uh, born and raised inside, we uh, want the rabbit to stay in an indoor situation. If the rabbit is born and raised outside, we uh, they're more comfortable there. They're they're imprinted on uh, pretty much in the nest box, and whatever um, you know, whatever mom introduces them to is what they're comfortable with for life, and that's even. That's with food, that's with surroundings, you know, everything like that. But, uh, and then you've got the farm rabbits that can go either way because they're usually, you know, born in barns or small hutches, uh, you know, and uh, pretty much anything is better for them. So, it's, yeah, you got, you got your choice, but um, right now the, um, it's the outdoor rabbits, it's the dump pets, they're probably the most at risk because there's um, a, a virus out there called um, RHDV2 that uh, it killed a lot of the rabbits on Vancouver Island two years ago. But now uh, it, um, and it had only affected domestic rabbits. Just the European rabbits were the only ones susceptible to it. And now a new version of this virus has broken out or it could be the same version, but it has now jumped to wildlife. So the virus that's affecting the European pet rabbits is now also affecting the cottontails and the jackrabbits. And that has made the uh, biologists and environmentalists very excited. Uh, these rabbits are a conduit for this um, for this virus the the feral colonies are a conduit there's some endangered species of, of cottontails and and um, jackrabbits and hares and they can all be affected by this 
virus. The governments are going to be moving to control these colonies and they're not going to do it humanely. What they did in, in Australia is they, you know, they just kept releasing viruses on purpose to kill the rabbits, but they, they can't do that here because now it's proven that this, this is um, jumping to wildlife. Uh, but this actually threaten, it threatens the entire food chain. Like it's something now that's happening in, in Europe. Australia didn't have a problem because they don't have any native rabbits there. They're all invasive. They're all European. All of the, the European countries and, the, and now North America and even Mexico right now uh, have uh, all kinds of endangered. The New England cottontail, the, the pygmy rabbits in Washington, there's a hare that's endangered in the lower mainland. And this virus can uh, conceivably completely wipe out the species. And that actually has a, a snowball effect with uh, eliminating a huge part of the, the food chain. So all of the, all of the animals are, are affected. And the, these rabbits are the ones that are going to take the brunt of it because they're the invasive species. Native rabbits are always the ones that are protected and the invasive species are the ones that are killed. It's a, a budding problem at the moment. There's only been, as I mentioned earlier, it's only been in the last 10 years or so where these colonies have been forming. And now there's colonies forming even in Alberta, I guess Washington State and Oregon, and there's pockets in California, and there's even pockets now in Alaska. But BC has always been the hotbed for this. I don't know why. It, uh, if it isn't controlled here, then uh, and we can't show them how how to do this humanely and how to get pets back and out of the environment, then uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a serious concern. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. I have a biology background too, and it's something that you see with a lot of different animals. Um, salmon, that's a similar issue with spreading diseases from farm to wild, to wild salmon. And you see it in honeybees as well, spreading diseases to native bees. And generally speaking, the native species are more susceptible, so it's it's hard because the language then gets very messy where everyone's entitled to life, but then the issue of someone spreading a disease, <laughs> they they then persecute those those individuals, which is not the point. Yeah, and this is a, a human-caused problem. This isn't a, a really a natural, I mean, it may be a, a naturally occurring virus, but the feral rabbits are, uh, are caused by humans. So if the humans cause the problem, the humans have to step up and fix this. Wow. I never was introduced to rabbits growing up. I think there's generally a, a fear or a stigma around smaller animal care in comparison to cats or dogs, but they sound like amazing companions. Yes, they are totally amazing companions, and uh, I would never have known that had I not found a bunny on the street and um, it was an at-risk rabbit and I took this rabbit home and I immediately regretted it. I'm going, okay, this it's going to be like a you know, bunch of work. and But of course, uh, after getting this rabbit home and realizing what a awesome little creature the bunny was, 
And then, of course, by day three, I think she jumped on my uh, jumped up on my lap and started licking my nose and my eye, and that was it, right? Of course, it's all it's all about us. It's not about them. Okay, <laughs> she loves me. I'm, right. I'm <laughs> or even just, I think there's maybe a misconception that you couldn't have like a multi-species community with rabbits and cats and like you said rabbits will bond to anyone which i found which i never knew i had a cat i had three cats at the time they totally ignored the rabbit one of the cats was um was sleeping and she she thought this cat was okay and she she put this perfect little circle of bunny poops around the cat and i had of course been uh, researching on the internet and I was told that yes they they are um, litter trained except that they will mark territory until their territory is established so I'm going oh isn't that cute the the little bunny has claimed the cat as her own and you know, made this little circle of poops around the cat but it turned out that the bunny was telling the cat that was her territory that that was the cat's territory and everything else was the bunnies <laughs> they do have they do have attitude <laughs> right, you stay there <laughs> i've given you this much space that's amazing i would have had the same initial thought about that one myself probably that's part of the problem with rabbits is that they don't have a voice and they don't physically have a voice you can't really tell what they're thinking until you really get to know them. They don't, uh, because they don't, they don't make noise even when they're in, in pain or fear or joy. It's really hard, hard to tell. They will do like a really mild tooth purr when they're, they're happy little bunnies when you're, you're petting them. But, uh, but that's about it until you do get to know them. So most people take that as being stupid or unresponsive so they get a they don't get a, a a fair shake at all because people don't understand them and they have uh the having no voice uh extends to to governments and uh biologists and environmentalists and gardeners don't form relationships with with humans until they're uh, up close and personal and people don't give them that chance i think that's common with a lot of Humans and non-humans, people who communicate differently or speak other languages are just completely put to the margins. When I was young, my, my mother had a rule that the only companion animals in the household had to make more than three sounds. <laughs> that for her, she felt she could understand and communicate effectively if there was more than three sounds, even though, even between humans, we know that that's not the only way you can that's not relevant to communication necessarily. <laughs> it really does. It, again, it goes back to the relating to you. It's all about it's all about the humans. You know, like this. When I fell in love with rabbits, it was because the rabbit actually, you know, reacted to me. You know, she licked my face and cleaned my eye, and you know, so so yeah. Humans are so so. Uh, oh. <laughs> Our fear of rejection, really, I guess, is what's keeping us back. <laughs> the the biggest issue in in the in the world of rabbits is that somebody who does have a pet rabbit um, as much as they love the rabbit right now there's a housing crisis and there's all kinds of uh, reasons why these people can't keep their rabbits people can develop 
allergies. They get married to somebody with allergies or they give birth to a human with allergies and they have to surrender the rabbit. But there is nowhere for that rabbit to go. None of the shelters are taking the rabbits. If they can't find anybody to take the rabbit, they're going to let the rabbit loose. What would be the main thing at this point for our listeners to tell them when it comes to rabbits, if you're considering adopting? Adopting rabbits is not going to solve this problem. And that's one of the the constant things that we're up against is that when we're talking to people about the rabbits, it always seems to gravitate to adopting the bunnies. We're not going to get the thousand rabbits running loose in Richmond uh, adopted out one by one to homes. There's going to be a, a continuing flow of rabbits unless there are things put in place, which would be a sanctuary rescue, be spay and neuter laws, that people have to have spayed and neutered rabbits. What has to happen is there has to be solid plans in place to stop the flow of rabbits. The shelters have to start taking them in. They have to, if they don't have the space, they're going to have to figure out how to get the space. They're funded by municipalities. They have to create the space. They have to take in these rabbits. I think the veterinarian communities have to realize that this is a crisis and they'll have to start offering reduced costs on spays and neuters. I think all of these rabbits are going to have to be vaccinated as well. And they have to be taken out of the environment, even if it turns out that they all have to go to sanctuaries. They have to come out of the environment. Those are really the key points. Mm-hmm. The um, the adoptions are great, and humans, of course, will do better when they get to know bunnies and they love bunnies. They'll become advocates for them. But the reality is it's past that point. So it's reach reached a critical point and um, if it's not solved now when it's still reasonably affordable it's going to be totally out of reach and the only way that they will solve it will be to euthanize all these rabbits that uh, that will happen we've definitely seen what would happen when shelters or individuals consider someone else an inconvenience and it's just so awful to think that it's come to this but i've certainly learned a lot from talking to you today i think this is really important information when we talk about homeless animals i think a lot of people think about cat shelters but i think that there needs to be space to talk about rabbits i i'm really happy that you were able to talk to me today oh thank you for for having me before i let you guys wondering if you wanted to just say you know how people can access your website any other whether you have facebook instagram uh to uh, uh help out rabbitats people can go to our website at rabbitats.org backslash just about anything which would be donate foster we can use all kinds of help we have a wish list we need people who would love to adopt colonies of rabbits that would be awesome you can keep up with our cute bunny stories on instagram i think we're rabbitats rescue and on facebook we're facebook backslash rabbitats we have um, ongoing stories especially about 
all of the sick and injured bunnies that we've ended up having to pick up over the last um, year or two because the municipal shelters stopped taking in rabbits. There's uh, some that have also stopped taking in the sick and injured. So we're constantly fundraising to be able to take a rabbit that's been hit by a car or grabbed by a dog into the vet. I think we're running somewhere around $4,500 a month in vet bills for these guys. Donations are always fun. Yes, donations. And right now, specifically, I know you are looking for people to help build, people with a background in in construction. So I just want to give the extra plug for that. Right now, we'll settle for people who can come and shovel dirt because we've got a lot of that going on. If anybody has any space like the big backyard, we would love to be able to come and help build a lovely little rabbit uh, micro sanctuary. We have designs. We're putting together a, a template, which makes it easy to just, um, this is the best way to keep the rabbits safe, provide human interaction. So we'll have plans for that. That would probably be the, the most helpful next to uh, the laborers and the, the builders. And who doesn't want just a beautiful colony of rabbits in their backyard that are safely living there? Exactly. If you're building that gazebo, using up all of the building labor, the least you can do is um, you know put a fence around it, have some bunnies in it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like you can also have a little lovely fun. little area on your deck that uh, you know, bunnies would love to live there. And the bunnies are... are good pets for that uh you can you you don't have to keep them caged all the time because they can they can run around and they'll they'll come back home when it's dinner time you know they have to they have to be supervised because you don't want any any hawks or anything getting them but uh for the most part bunny therapy in your own yard well thank you again for your time and i am now dreaming about having just a deck filled with rabbits so (laughs) Well, that's, uh, you know, come on, come on by the uh, the shelter, and we'll introduce you to some of the the 200 that are there. We have 200 indoor rabbits and about 200 outdoor, so lots of choices. It's really nice talking to you. Yep, the pleasure was mine. Thank you. That concludes my interview with Sorel, the founder of Rabbitats. I am also now very intrigued by the idea of having five rabbits romping around my apartment. Someone needs to talk me out of that idea. Anyway, you've been listening to Animal Voices Radio here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, unceded and ancestral lands of the Swalatooth, Squamish, and Musqueam people. We're here every Friday at noon. If you missed a part of this week's show, or if you want to go back and hear last week's show, you can stream our episodes as podcasts via our website, or you can find them on Apple Podcast. You can find us on Facebook for information about upcoming shows. We're also on Instagram as Animal Voices Vancouver, and on Twitter as Animal Voices YVR. You can also email us at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com. We'll leave you today with a rap from the cat rapper. Uh, the cat rapper is called I Am Mo Show, the cat rapper on YouTube or Instagram. This song is called Cat Bath Rap. It's amazing. 
uh, uh, check it. One, rub, like, like rubber dub dub. Gotta get, gotta get my cat a scrub, uh. Ravioli, acting like they know me. And I'm sorry, get the sun, get Cody. Uh, look, shot the net. Now everybody's screaming, let's adopt the cat. I'm sorry, I gotta keep you clean. Ravioli, please don't treat me mean. Cat people, put your hands up. Where you at, baby? Just stand up. Look. I tell them to plan up, and we coming real wavy. Everybody knows cat ladies drive me crazy. And I'm sorry, one time, and he climbing on my hat. <laughs> hope you like me like that. Uh, hope you like me like that. Uh, look, don't try this at home. Uh, don't leave me alone. Uh, daddy never, never come. You're not a dog, not gonna throw you a bone. Uh, and we never, 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 never getting real feather. Shining any weather, shining together. Cat people stand up. Now, now and never.